2: We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go.
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 175. Scott, sometimes as fans, we overreact to something we just saw. We just saw a tough loss on... Sunday, the Yankees almost came back, but do not let that cloud your judgment of an overall fantastic week of baseball from the Yankees.
2: I'm glad you're saying that. I'm truly glad you're saying that because I did not want to start harping on something that happened on the day that we record because unfortunately, I think it happens to us more often than we realize that there's a bad game on Sunday. It pisses us off and we go into a podcast for the start of the week after a very good week and really just start talking about some of those negative things, but I agree with you. Very good week of baseball. I'm not letting today sour my mood. It was, uh, it was, it was a loss, but it was three of four from the Baltimore Orioles. They did their job, and they're playing good baseball right now. So that's that's where I am.
1: The Yankees essentially buried the Orioles this weekend. If they had swept them, it would have completely buried them. But the Orioles have been in a tailspin. I think they were, or what did Kay say? They were two and eight over the last ten games. So they're pretty much out of it. They looked kind of lethargic all weekend, with the exception of today. So, so the Yankees effectively ended Baltimore's uh, season.
2: Yeah, and that's fine because you know their their pitching staff is so bad. They deserve. They don't deserve. To sniff the playoffs, let alone be in the wild card hunt, to me then it takes away from the teams that are in the wild card hunt because their, their pitching staff is just putrid. I mean they're, it's awful. The fact that Abaldo Jimenez did something today is a miracle, but the up and down, you look at their starting rotation and it's, it's embarrassing. Now they're having some very good offensive years from people that you probably didn't expect, uh, and that's why they are where they are. but you know you shut them down with some good pitching and they're a shell of a team.
1: Absolutely. Uh, We've been we've been plugging the September 30th event for a few weeks at this point. The tickets are on sale. Fifty nine bucks gets you a game ticket in section 205 and 206, a pregame party that we're going to be hosting at the Bronx Brewery that gets you two free pints of the Bronx Banner Ale and then four dollar pints after that. That's a that's a steal, especially around the stadium and in the Bronx. You know, that's a steal if you're trying to get a buzz on before the game. You also get an awesome uh, game T-shirt. That Scott designed Chase for twenty eight. So go check that out on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter channels. Uh, it's pretty awesome, Scott, and I'm looking forward to the event.
2: Yeah, definitely, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a good way to close the season out. And um, I mean, it looks it's looking more and more like we're we're gearing towards those playoff spots. I'm not trying to definitively say anything, but it's looking like something good's going to happen. Obviously, with uh, the season ending, but that's a great way to celebrate the end of the season. We're going to go in, and, and again, I still think that that division is up for grabs. Um, but go, go grab those tickets. Tell your friends, look, we're doing this thing through the application that the Yankees are using for their ticket sales. So it's, it's easily um, sent out to your friends and family. You guys can sit together and you can coordinate that all yourselves while you're doing it. It's super easy. So make sure you go do that. Once you buy the tickets, you get a code sent to you in the confirmation that allows you to go and get your T-shirt um, and then that will send to you. So if you do want that T-shirt for the event, and obviously everybody's going to be wearing them at the event. You want to make sure you get it ahead of time because there will be a little bit of a lead time for the t-shirt to print uh, package and all that and then send off to you. Um, So make sure you leave yourself some time. These tickets will be on sale for a while, um, but if you get your tickets uh, probably within a week of the date, I'd say then you're definitely going to get your t-shirt for that day.
1: Awesome. And you've been busy because you also did a segment with Ryan Rucco on our last episode. I finally got a chance to listen to it. Great job. But if you guys you. listening have not heard that, go check out episode 174. The back half of that show Scott and Ryan did about a half hour. You guys were very positive. Uh, a lot of positive vibes around the Yankees between the two of you, but it was it was good stuff.
2: Yeah, I think we we agreed on a lot of things. I mean, I think um one, he's a he's a real just easy to talk to guy. I mean, he's just a he's a he's a dude you could go grab some beers with and Pretty much like we do this show. I mean, that's, that's kind of the feeling that we want you know, people to get when they're listening is just a couple of guys hanging out talking Yankees. And that's pretty much what Ruco does. I mean, that's, I think, why he is, um, is in so well with a lot of the players. I think he's just a really casual, very natural guy. And he sees a lot of the things I see in baseball. And, you know, if I align well with somebody, I could talk for hours about the Yankees and how, how good they are right now. So, yeah, good stuff. It was. It was a lot of fun.
1: One of the questions I was most interested in hearing his reaction to was the Sabathia question and what he thought was going to happen with his contract next year. And he basically agreed with us that a one year deal is in, is a mutual, uh, mutually beneficial to both sides. But he did say he did throw out that that if the Yankees have a fantastic finish this year, win the World Series, he could see CC riding off into the sunset.
2: Yeah, I think everybody wants that John Elway finish of your career. I mean, if it, if he can get it, if you know, he's he's an integral part of this team right now, and Looking at if they get to a, a playoff series, I mean, he very well might be a, a very big part of that series as well. So if they were to get hot at the right time and, and everything were to fall into place and CC were to win the, uh, the World Series with the Yankees, then I could absolutely see that. What, what is a better way to, uh, to end your career than that? So, I mean, John Elway set a really nice bar, and I think athletes dream of ending their careers like that.
1: Would you be uh, upset at all if Sabathia signed a one-year deal elsewhere?
2: I think it depends on the situation. I think if the Yankees didn't offer him a legitimately fair contract for a one-year deal, then then no, I wouldn't. But if they did offer him that and he said no, I'm not going to take the Yankees contract, but I'm going to take somebody else's similar money, um, you know, a situation where he might be able to win, then yeah, I think I would. Uh, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd, I'd put my nose up it a little bit.
1: Yeah, because he's not—he's not, he's not a, a lifelong Yankee. He didn't come up through the Yankees organization, but he's been here since two thousand nine. One World Series, been a leader for the Yankees. So I—I I wouldn't say I'd be upset. I think uh, if, like, like you said, if there was a fair contract offer from the Yankees, I expect him to take it. And I kind of go back to: Do you remember when David Cohn signed with the Red Sox in two thousand one? That always kind of rubbed me the wrong way.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think. Players at the end of their careers, depending on the situations, I mean, a lot of stuff you don't see, I think, between what happens with them and negotiations in the front office. Um, some things are, are made very public when, there's, when there are leaks. I mean, uh, if you remember the whole Derek Jeter thing when he was getting that extension, like that was a disaster the way it actually went down. It shouldn't have been. It, it didn't have... There was no reason for it to be, but it ended up being very weird. Um, the whole thing with uh, Posada and Bernie Williams, like the, the Yankees have have a history of, of guys ending their careers and things being weird with the front office. I mean, it's, it's happened a bunch of times. So, you know, would it wouldn't shock me, but yeah, I don't want to see it because he has been a Yankee for a long time and he's been a very good Yankee. So you want him to end his career here?
1: Definitely. The Yankees have been hot in September 11 and five in the month of September. And you'd think if they go 11 and five, they're going to be gaining ground on the Red Sox. But it really has not happened since the Red Sox left the stadium Labor Day weekend. I think they were three and a half games out of first place. The Yankees were at that point. And now they're three games. So they've gained a half game while going 11-5. and five. So you can't really blame the Yankees. You just say, well, the Red Sox are playing good, too. And you, you've kind of been saying, well, I'm holding, I'm holding out for a Red Sox skid where they maybe get swept or something like that, and it allows the Yankees to pounce. But it seems like every time the Red Sox stumble, the Yankees also lose that day, too. So they never get to get that extra game that we've been looking for. And now we're down to two weeks, and it's going to be pretty hard to gain those three games in two weeks.
2: Yeah, it's definitely going to take a, a a nice little slide from them, and the Yankees continue to win. I mean, they almost had it in Tampa. They sh- they should have lost two of the three games, uh, but they came back in the ninth the other day and and won. Thank you, Tampa Bay, you stupid, stupid organization. Uh, the Yankees would have gained a game there. Then they lost today. Obviously, Yankees losing today being Sunday. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously, as every day goes on, the the percentages and the probability of the Yankees catching them is going down because they're not playing e- each other. But Again, I still think two weeks of baseball. There's a lot of things can happen. Still, a lot of things can happen. The uh, the Red Sox could definitely hit that that nice little slide because I still believe that the Yankees are going to be ending this. I think the Yankees are going to be one of the hottest teams going into the playoffs.
1: Well, that's what it, that's what they're playing like right now. Maybe not as hot as the Cleveland Indians, but eleven and five is is seven thirty baseball. That's unbelievable. I know it's over a sixteen game span, so it's still relatively short. But this is exactly what we've been looking for from the Yankees since June. Is complete baseball start to finish. They're winning series. They're getting good starting pitching. The offense is finally clicking again, and yeah, the bullpen has some hiccups. But overall, when you, when you can throw out the five guys that the Yankees can, you feel pretty good about it.
2: Yeah, and lately they've been pretty good. I mean, this is this is a bullpen that, I mean, I I just fully expected them to uh, to figure themselves out. You know, they, there's just too much talent in the back of that bullpen to do that. But you're right. I mean, that's. They're lined up right now to, to play well for the rest of the season. And um, if they continue to do that, they're going to just put that pressure on the Red Sox to do it because the Red Sox are going to continue to look back and be like, these guys are not losing. We got to play our best ball right now, and we have zero room to slip. And to me, at that point, the pressure is on the on the Red Sox. So that's, uh, that's something good to have. The Yankees just keep playing well because then added pressure, you never know what's going to happen. Who knows? We'll see.
1: And if you guys are going to be going to the stadium over the next couple of weeks or maybe even looking for some playoff tickets, obviously you got to be using the SeatGeek app. We've been telling you about it for a month at this point. It is by far the easiest way to buy tickets to sporting events. Football is also here, Scott. I was talking we were talking about before we started recording how I've completely lost touch with the NFL the first two weeks, but if you want to go see your crappy jets, definitely use the SeatGeek app. I have it on my phone. I've used it a number of times to get tickets. They color code the tickets so you know if you're getting a good deal. Um, they're also fully guaranteed. So, you know, you're not going to be ripped off because a lot of times on the secondary market, you might run into some issues, but not with SeatGeek. So we are giving you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. If you download the app and enter our promo code Bronx, again, 20 bucks, that's two beers at Yankee stadium that you can get back for free by using the code Bronx. If you download the SeatGeek app. Thursday's game, the Yankees pounded Baltimore 13-5. Aaron Judge had a huge night. The Todd father had a huge night. Thumbs down for everybody. Man, if we could just face Baltimore Orioles pitching all the time.
2: The Baltimore Orioles pitching staff, like I said earlier, is a joke and a half. These guys suck. They're terrible. The only thing that's saving them as far as an entire pitching staff is Zach Britton. And they're just they're just awful. And the Yankees, like they should, every single time they come into Yankee Stadium, are just embarrassing them. And you know they did it again this weekend. They they put up a ton of runs. It seems like they have no opportunities. Uh, because they jump on them so fast. Thursday was with six runs in the first inning. The Todd mm-hmm. Father, dude. The this first of all, this thumbs down thing. Okay, I don't know how you're <laughs> feeling about that, but let's talk about this for a second. This guy go. We go to to. Uh, I I've, I've said Shea Stadium like five times by the way. When I'm talking about this, we go to City Field. We play the freaking Devil Rays. <laughs> we go to Shea and play the Devil Rays, and we Scott are, living in the '90s again. Okay, <laughs> and we're the away team, and there's some big dude in there with a beard who's completely, you know, has. Looks like he has no emotion on his face, giving a thumbs down sign, just completely ruthless to uh, Todd Frazier as he's running the bases. And the Yankees see it, think it's hilarious, and use this as their rallying cry. <laughs> it's it's one of the greatest things I've seen. It's beautiful. It's not some stupid thing like the rally monkey. It's not like um, the what were the the bats that the Anaheim used also? Like the um, oh god, inflatable the,
1: the Vuvuzelas? Or no, that's well, that, that's um, the Vuvuzelas or World Cup. No, they had the like thunder the thundersticks. Sticks. Thunder yeah, I can't stand
2: the thundersticks either. But this is like a thumbs down. This is this is basically coming from just some salty Mets fan who dressed up like a Rays fan, which is terrible in the in, if you think about that No, nah, I
1: kind of I kind of respect
2: that. Okay, fine. But the, uh, the it's coming from some dude who was just just so miserable that decided to, he he even said, "If I booed, nobody would hear me." So what I took a stance and I made a, a dramatic symbol to show my emotions, and yep. just stood there with his thumb down. Look, terrific! I'm glad. I'm so happy that the YES Network cameraman got him because it's unbelievable. And the fact that the Yankees have embraced it is beautiful.
1: It is. And before they were doing the finger guns, I don't know if you noticed that all season they were doing a little finger guns. But now, every time someone gets a big hit, the entire dugout, especially if Todd Frazier does, and he's been getting some hits in September, we have some numbers for you in a second. They've been doing the thumbs down thing, like you said. It's fun. It's one of those things that uh, the Yankees have were never known for this kind of gimmicky thing right so we were not used to it when they did that horse face a few years ago we were like wow this is so different let's get behind this when they did the mustaches you and i grew some really ugly mustaches because we were just behind this team doing something different than the cookie cutter business corporate like like put up your tie kind of atmosphere so it was fun and now this is fun and i think it's because the team has all young guys now the core of this team is young and then Sabathia has always seemed like a fun guy. He can get behind this. So a lot of it—it it all comes from the personalities on this team.
2: No, absolutely. And Aaron Judge, if I heard an interview one after one of the games. I think it was Thursday night, actually. When uh, yes was in, all the reporters are in the clubhouse. They were at. They somebody asked him uh, about that, and apparently he was the one who went up to Frazier and was like, "Hey, you should do the thumbs down thing if you get on base or home run or whatever." and so he did it to the dugout and the whole dugout's just doing it back and forth. And you know what, it's fun because there this type of thing is one of those connections that you can get with the players and the fans immediately. Like it's it's something that you can almost bond over if if that makes any sense. Because I do feel like we're all doing it, you know, to it's, it's taking over social media the thumbs down which I think is hilarious, especially if someone doesn't know what it means. And and then the players are doing it on the on the field, so you feel even even more connected with these guys because they get it. And, uh, and you're right. I think the youth definitely helps that. And I think it's just, you know, going into all the vets and everybody's just having fun and loose baseball. And that's when you're good.
1: We, I mentioned those Frazier numbers in the month of September. He didn't get a hit today, so he's batting about 250 in the month of September, which isn't great. It's good for him, but his on-base percentage is over 440, which is phenomenal. Five homers and 13 RBIs. If Todd Frazier is getting on base over over 40% of the time and hitting, hitting five bombs, and I think he's played uh, 14 games, that's all you can ask for, because he also plays a nice, smooth third base.
2: Yeah, the batting average is not something that we're worried about. You know, you know the batting average. I mean, you don't want it to be a, a hovering around 200, but if he's if he's batting 250, you know, 240, 250, you can live with that because chances are the power there and that's what he's doing. He's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He's playing a great third base. He's getting on base. He's getting his walks as well. So, you know, he's doing everything you want him to do. I think this is how he, he became a, a very good player and all-star in the National League by hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And when he's on base this this often and he's seeing the ball this well, that's when good things happen, and you know the glove is, is has always been there and is uh, is good. Plus, he is a good clubhouse dude. I mean, this guy loves playing in New York. He absolutely is loving it. He's been talking about how much he loves doing it and would love to come back even. So he's even pitching the fact that he's having the most fun playing in New York, and I love that. I absolutely love that.
1: He might he he definitely seems like he would take a hometown discount if if that was on the table.
2: He does feel like that kind of guy. I mean, who knows when the when the actual numbers come down to it. Uh, and if his agent's pushing him in the other way, but yeah, he's fitting this, he's fitting into this clubhouse very, very well.
1: Another guy who has just been lighting up Baltimore pitching Aaron judge 17 or actually now it's uh, cause this was on Thursday. So it's 20 games, 11 homers, 24 RBIs, 27 runs scored 1.781 OPS just against the Baltimore Orioles pitching staff. If someone out there, can have uh, if they're good at brainwashing people or hypnotizing people. We just need to hypnotize Aaron Judge into thinking that crummy Baltimore pitching is on the mound every time he's at play- at the bat.
2: Yeah, the dude is a is just a man possessed when he plays the Orioles. I mean, they they must be petrified of them, of him every time he steps in the box. I mean, Showalter even showed that today with the ultimate respect, actually on on Sunday uh, in a very cl- in a two run game walking. Aaron Judge, to get to carry Sanchez, who's also been lightning uh, hot. So there's obviously a respect factor there with Judge. And for whatever reason, when he sees the orange, maybe it's the orange and black background against the ball. I have no idea, but it's something that clicks in him and he goes off.
1: What did you think of that move by Buck Showalter today, putting the winning run in the batter's box?
2: I mean, I liked it as a Yankee fan. <laughs> I thought it was, <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, obviously the numbers were, um, were for, for whatever reason, he liked the matchup. Because it's it's the same matchup in the sense that they're both right-handed bats uh, against Britain. He liked the matchup with uh, with Gary Sanchez better, so he put put the winning run on or the tying run on, winning run up. And um, I was praying very. I was just looking for everything possible uh, to to will Gary Sanchez to hit a walk off at that point because that would have been so sweet. But it didn't Show-Walter... happen. Buck Walter did it. He does what he wants to do.
1: Well, he's not afraid to do stuff like that. Because do you remember no. when Barry Bonds was? doing all the steroids in the world back in the early 2000s, and Buck was managing the Diamondbacks. He walked Barry Bonds in the ninth inning with the bases loaded up by two runs to get to, I believe it was Jeff Kent batting behind him, and he, they ended up winning the game, the Diamondbacks did, because he did not want to pitch to Barry Bonds. So he walked him with the bases loaded, walked in a run in the ninth inning. That's the kind of manager Buck Showalter is.
2: Yeah, he does He does very different stuff, and it's, and it's different than than um, like, like guys like Joe Madden, where he just does like wacky stuff that's kind of against the grain. Uh, Buck Schultz does like stuff like, remember last year when Duck, when Zach Britton didn't get in the game that they lost? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's that's weird stuff. I mean, bringing in a Baldo Jimenez instead of Zach Britton well, that's in a game stuff. It's gonna that's going to define your is. But I mean, you could say that's pretty much along the same lines as walking a guy with the bases loaded intentionally. It's, it's, it's like reckless things like that that he thinks be, will work. Uh, And sometimes they do. I don't know. Buck Showalter is a smart baseball guy, but sometimes he's a very arrogant manager at the same time.
1: Friday's game, this is the game where I thought the Orioles looked like they gave up on the season. It seemed like they booted a bunch of balls. That's how the Yankees got on the board early on a Greg Bird ground ball to first base ended up being an error. Uh, on Chris Davis, and, and the Yankees got a couple runs that way. Severino had a few hiccups early in the game. He gave up a two-run homer in the second, and as soon as that ball went out of the stadium, you saw something in Severino's eyes where he looked pissed off, and he's like, I am not giving up another freaking hit the rest of the night. He ended up pitching eight innings, three hits, just those two-run runs, seven strikeouts, lowered his ERA to 2.93. So he had the hiccup. He said, I'm pissed off. I'm, I'm going to start dominating.
2: Yeah, and I love that. I love if you see something early that doesn't go well, and then a guy recognizing what it was, making his adjustment, and then going out and dominating. You're always looking for, for things that are, are qualities of an ace, right? This is what you're, you're, you're constantly... I feel like you're, one of your life missions is to find that ace for the Yankees and like you have a checkbox. This has to be one of those criteria where things are not going well early and you buckle down, strap up, and man up and just go out and pitch eight innings after things can go wrong early. And that's exactly what he did. The dude is realizing, I feel like, in game, when things aren't, doing, aren't going the way he wants them or the, the ball's not... Um, you know, going to where he wants it as far as uh, as as far as the pitches, as throwing strikes, or one of his pitches isn't working as well as the other, he can make in-game adjustments and still get through, you know, seven, eight innings in a pretty dominant fashion. And that's exactly what you saw. I guess a very, very good offense.
1: 100% an ace needs to be able to sack up. Sack up when he doesn't have his best stuff, sack up in a big game, and get the job done. That's what Severino's been doing. His last six starts, 40.2 innings pitched, 20 hits, so less than half the hits uh, as innings pitch. 1.55 ERA, 52 strikeouts, 138 batting average against, and the Yankees are 5-1 in those games, which is the ultimately the most important stat are the Yankees winning. He's been absolutely dominant. Um, I, he will receive some Cy Young votes. He's not going to be the Cy Young because... He
2: deserves it. I mean, he's look what Sale has done, though, the past month. I mean, he's been downright he's, not that been, good. he's just been he's, not that good
1: right but Kluber has been filthy the last month too and Kluber had a season that was almost as good as sales up until that point so I, I think right now it would go Kluber sale Severino
2: right but he is in the conversation right especially what, what happens in this next um what he's he's got like two maybe three starts left and he's going to uh if he if he comes out and pitches very well and puts up really good numbers high strikeouts lowers that era even more He's definitely going to be that conversation. It's going to be a lot a lot tighter. You can lose or win a Cy Young in the last two weeks. There's no doubt about it. It's happened before.
1: Well, you mentioned those two, maybe three starts. Joe did something interesting with the rotation. He moved uh, Sabathia back. He, Sabathia was supposed to start on Sunday. Sonny Gray started instead. This makes it so Severino is not going to pitch in the Minnesota series. And obviously this might be because that's who the Yankees would play in the wild card game. He doesn't want to give the the twins a look at Severino two weeks before they might be in a do or die game against him.
2: yeah and to tell you the truth I kind of like that I think that's extremely smart and you know some would say that hey these are really big games against the twins well I'll I'll say that yes they're big games there's no doubt but the Yankees are up what five games now it's I I think it's five games Uh, on the twins there is a lot more to lose the for the twins than the Yankees to gain by throwing their guy giving them a look because if, if that is the team that's a huge advantage for the Twins to see a guy within two weeks, rather than not see him at all and go against him in a in a one game playoff at Yankee Stadium. I mean that that's a big deal. So I, I, I'm I'm in favor of that move with Girardi. I think it's a smart move.
1: The Twins came back against the Blue Jays today, so they're actually four back. Four back, okay. But so, uh, Severino has not pitched against them this year, so it will be. The, and this basically proves that Severino is their guy going into that wild card game. Not that we, I mean, that's what we expected. But this basically is lining up because they're getting, they're already planning to have Severino pitch uh, fewer times, so he's on his regular day's rest. I think in the last week, making sure he's everything is going his way in that one-game wild card, which is the first week of October.
2: Yeah, and it gets tricky because of the the way that the the wild card is is lined up, and you know the the fact that it can come down to the last week, trying to line up your starter for a one-game. Uh, you know, playoff or play in game, whatever you want to call it, is is very tricky and, and it can be dangerous because, I mean, let's say the the twins come in and, and win, you know, the first two games of that series and all of a sudden it's a two game lead and then you're not showing uh, throwing Severino at that point. So look, there, there could be things that, that play out that make this move look different. There's no doubt we could all play Monday, Monday morning quarterback on this um, if things work out in the twins favor. But looking where they are right now, having confidence in the team and having confidence in the rest of his guys to go out there and pitch you know, effectively, I, I still like the move. I think it's a solid move.
1: The only thing you, you kind of get worried about is that Joe, Joe is overthinking it. And then because Severino is not going to be pitching every five days for the rest of the season, and then on that one-game wildcard spot, he might be a little bit rusty. Um, I don't know. That's, that's just playing devil's advocate.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, a lot of that stuff can go into it as well. I mean, doing things different than your routine can always affect the way that you throw or the way that you go about, you know, a, a certain start. So I don't know, man. I, I like to think that this year Severino's different. I like to think that his mentality is is a little bit more cutthroat, a little bit more of I'm um, the guy, knowing he's the guy, and uh, it's it's just all the uncertainty of his of his position with the team and and what they think about him and what his teammates think about him and what he thinks about himself confidence-wise, I think all of that is gone. So you're, you're getting a very confident guy, especially, I mean, you got to believe that that's even adding to his confident level, right? With, with Girardi saying, okay, I'm pretty much aligning this so that you can play in this game and you're the guy. And I'm telling you that two weeks ahead of time. That's a big nod.
1: Yeah, and I, and I agree with you that I kind of like that they're not going to be showing him to the Twins because what was the one of the things we talked about with the Yankees and Chris Sale? The reason they were getting better looks at him towards the end of the season is because they faced him five times. I know facing the Twins once wouldn't maybe be a huge deal, but I don't want to give them any unnecessary advantage.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big thing. I think it is a big deal when you can see a guy ahead of time before you're you're playing him in a do-or-die game. I mean, you're looking. You're looking at somebody. I mean, there's one. It's one thing to look at video and to look at just kind of what he does and pick up on patterns and things like that. But to stand in the box against that guy is uh, is a totally different animal. I mean, you could get a lot more comfortable with a guy if you've seen it in person.
1: And the and it's not like the twins. I mean, maybe a few of those twins players faced him out of the bullpen last year, but it's not like that he has a long history with these twins players. So, yeah, I thought I just thought it was an interesting move by Girardi. Uh, Another thing I noticed from Friday's game is that when Robertson pitched in the ninth inning, he threw a couple wild pitches, and on both instances, he shook his right arm out after he threw the wild pitch. Now, this could just be him saying, like, I'm pissed off at myself, damn it, and he hit his side, but it kind of looked like he was wiggling his arm. The outing before that, remember, was the eight outs he got against Tampa. That was his longest outing in a long time. There has been no David Robertson injury uh, talk. I am not suggesting he's injured. All I'm saying is I noticed it
2: feels like a conspiracy theory on your end. Just saying sounds like looking for something. Um, I'm not going out there and going to say anything wrong. I think he had a he was definitely uh, having he had a bad day. He didn't have his control when he came in and it was weird. Just I I just think he was having a bad night personally. I I don't I don't think anything of it.
1: It could just be maybe he was a little extra tired because eight outs is a lot. It's double the amount of outs he normally gets. Actually, more than double.
2: Maybe because of that, he slept on his arm wrong because he was so tired that he didn't, you know, he slept differently and his uh, pins and needles on that arm, less blood, trying to get the blood flow.
1: You never know; it could be. You know, uh, Greg Bird was moving just fine after those back issues this weekend. Hit two homers. Uh, what'd you think of our boy Greg Bird?
2: <laughs> he's he's I don't know he's funny to me. He's just a funny dude. I looking at him, he lumbers around. I'm glad he's playing well. I mean, I think that was a good play uh, at first base. You know, he threw a bullet um, to, to who was the pitcher at that time? Severino. It was, Severino. It was, it was Severino. it was a. It was like a rocket thrown yeah. at Severino, and I'm just glad it didn't take out Severino's leg, or, or do some something weird because it was a nice play by Severino actually picking that ball because uh, it came pretty hot. But it was a nice play. Um, you know, the fact that he's getting comfortable and getting that home run stroke down is huge. You know, it, he's such a big cog in this lineup if you can add another power left-handed bat to this lineup I mean you could throw anybody at us and Girardi has an answer he's got a lineup that can that can go against uh, a tough lefty or a tough righty and especially if Bird is swinging the bat well and and being that guy who's going to hit the ball out of the park you know he could he can match up against anybody so it's it's very important
1: uh, he got pinch hit for on Sunday, uh, with Britain on the mound, Chase Headley got, uh, was the pinch hitter. Obviously, Headley's a switch hitter. So, uh, I, what did you think of that, of that move from Girardi?
2: Um, I, I, I think he's just saw Headley uh, as more of a guy that's going to that potentially get on base. You know, I think that that's what he was trying to do. Not really trying to hit the ball of the park at that point, but more or less get a base runner. And I Guess he that thought that um, Headley had more at bats against Britain. Liked what he saw. I guess in the numbers. I don't even know what the numbers are, but I'm just knowing Joe Girardi. That's probably what he was looking at. Yeah, and liked the matchup better.
1: Britain is such a filthy pitcher, though. He's throwing like a 97 mile an hour sinker from the left side. You basically never see that. I I don't know what his splits are, lefty righty, but I would almost rather have Bird, who had been playing the whole game. Batting versus Headley or, or anyone else. This is not a knock on Chase Headley. It's just anyone coming off the bench against Chris Britton is seems impossible.
2: I mean, he's a tough at bat no, no matter what, and that that heavy that's that's the thing though. That sinker against Bird to me could be very tough for Bird. I, I don't know if it, it's a it, it's a great matchup with the um, the way that I mean he he hasn't really been hitting the ball when he's been when he's been getting uh, when he's been getting hits. Has been going out of the ballpark, and it's it's been balls up and and in. And he's able to put that nice. It's a beautiful stroke. Don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful stroke. It just doesn't seem like he has his complete timing. Right. Um, and I think it's coming. I think it's definitely getting there. I think he's almost there. Um, but I just don't think I think that Girardi saw the matchup. And, you know, Headley's a guy who can go in and, and scratch a base hit, especially now. He's that guy. He's the guy who he trusts a lot. So I don't really I, I think it's such an impartial move. Like I'm, I'm I could go either way.
1: Yeah. Before we talk about Didi, because we definitely have to talk about Didi and what he did this weekend. Montgomery finally had a good start. It had been a while. He hadn't won since July 25th, and he had always struggled against the Orioles. So he pitched really well on Saturday, six innings, four hits, no earned runs, six strikeouts. Most importantly, one walk. I was looking at some of his numbers. He had walked 13 guys in his last 22 innings pitch, which is just horrendous. So the fact that when he gets his walks down, he's a good pitcher. When he's walking guys, he's not a good pitcher. It is literally as simple as that with Jordan Montgomery.
2: And we talked about that in the beginning of the season when when he was going very well. His his walk numbers, his uh, percentage of strikes was a lot higher and he was walking less guys. And that's when he saw the success cuz he's able to work off of some of his um you know the the pitches that he's throwing. He's able to work off of each other rather than coming back with that fastball and you know, when you're down in the count and you have to throw a fastball over the plate to to get back into the to the at bat, you you have a higher percentage that this guy is going to make good contact off of it when there are no uh, what what pitch is coming. When he can work off of that curveball, when his curveball is going and he's throwing it for strikes, he's very very good. And we all we've talked about his arm angles, the way he's very over the top, which is a lot very different for a lefty starter. Most of those guys you come and see, uh, at least three quarters, but more of a sidearm uh, delivery, he's a, he's different to see. So he hides the ball naturally. So when he's throwing strikes, naturally, it's going to be harder to hit. So you're right. That's exactly what it comes down to. I mean, we could say that about a lot of guys, but especially a, a young guy like him, if he's cutting down those walks, his pitches become a lot more effective because he is hiding the ball better and um, he just becomes less predictable.
1: Let's say the Yankees get to a division series. They need to set a 25-man roster. Does Montgomery make the cut?
2: Yeah, I think he does. I think, he, I think he's probably the last... The last uh, starting arm on there. I think the um, that CC obviously is going to get a start in those in those games. I think uh, Jaime Garcia is 100 percent not going to be on that roster. I think Jordan Montgomery can definitely be an asset.
1: Well, yeah, Montgomery wouldn't get a start because they'd only use four starters. But maybe he'd be right. someone out of the bullpen, or if some like extra innings, because you never know what happens in these playoff games. You go 14 innings, you got to throw a starter out there, and Montgomery would be a good guy to do that. Yeah, I've been completely unimpressed with Jaime Garcia.
2: Yeah, I mean, were we expecting to be impressed by Jaime Garcia? I mean, I think we knew what we were getting when he was coming over. He was a veteran depth move that was going to eat some innings and basically take away from uh, Montgomery throwing as many innings as he did. And he allowed Montgomery to go down to AAA for a little bit. So I think he did what he was, I guess, affected effectively brought over here to do, which was really just depth. Um, that's it. And that, that's really why he was brought over here. The, But yeah, I think Montgomery won. He has, he has also experience from throwing in the bullpen. Um, and like you said, they need a long guy. You need to have that guy ready to go. If you do need to go multiple innings, I mean, granted they have Chad green and they know he can do it. Um, but also Jordan Montgomery is a nice, is a nice uh, matchup guy being a lefty.
1: Maybe Jaime Garcia can give the Yankees some inside knowledge on the twins, because as you know, he spent an entire week with them this season.
2: I was going to say it was, it was at least a week, right? It was, it was a very short time because he got, came over from the Braves, um, but that was right in the mix when the Braves or when the uh, Twins thought that they were completely out of it and made that trade. Yeah, what funny a enough. wild
1: season, huh, for the Twins? Like
2: just it's, it's funny because the trade partner that they had is the one that they're they're fighting to to catch to yeah. make the um, you know, to, to win uh to win out on that first wild card spot. So, it's an interesting weird twist of of how the season went.
1: Um, all right, let's talk about Didi. Uh, three home runs this weekend. He's now got 24, which ties Derek Jeter's 1999 record for most by a Yankee shortstop of all time. Didi is going to pass that number. And just to, just think, if he didn't miss the entire month of April, we'd be looking at a 30-home run shortstop.
2: And last year, he started off with this home run streak, right? I mean, he he hit, I think, the most he had last year in his career. And now, all of a sudden, he's doubling down on that, hitting more again, tying Derek Jeter today, Sunday. Like you said, going to pass it unless some weird thing happens. But the guy is swinging the bat so well. You know, I, I don't think we can say enough about him with what he had to come into New York being. I mean, you got to look at the entire situation. It's not just... This one year, and he's having a great year as a a shortstop, as our shortstop. But he came in under the most crazy circumstances uh, of, uh, you know, an all-time great leaving, the the beloved Derek Jeter leaving, and him coming in to fill that spot. And he's done it so freaking well, and with such a good attitude and everything good off the field and on the field, like he's a social media hero now, you can't say enough good things about this guy. He's going to be a staple in the New York Yankees for a long time. We
1: keep we we talk about it a lot we talk about how much you and I both love DD a lot on this podcast and we saw him last season make that transformation and we were saying that this guy could be an all star and I think he would have been if it weren't I mean wasn't he in the final vote this year for the all-star
2: yeah it's just you know the shortstop in the American League is stacked so that's right. the problem
1: but he's been probably the second best shortstop in the American League this season behind uh, Lindor
2: which is Lindor uh, and Carrasco or uh, not Carrasco um, Carlos Correa are, and, and him, okay, I yeah, think yeah, are the best
1: I, three. I forgot about I forgot about uh, Correa but he's completely outperformed Xander Bogarts and Bogarts was ahead of him if you went in at the start of the season as far as who you would
2: pick for your team yeah he's such a much more complete player than Bogarts is too I mean you're, you're looking at a guy who's hitting for average for power he can run the run the bases with speed he can play good defense He does everything you want. He can hit right-handed pitching. He can hit left-handed pitching. He hits in the clutch. He's good off the field. (laughs) I mean, he's marketing himself a lot more this year than he ever has, but yet that's not making any problems on the field. He's great in social media. The fans love him. He's good with the media, uh, with with the broadcast team and the people who interview him. I mean, everywhere you look, the guy is is an ambassador for the game, an ambassador for this, this sport, and he does well. He does well on the field. After Derek freaking Jeter. It, it's <laughs> ridiculous.
1: You mentioned he's clutch. Each of his three home runs this weekend versus the Orioles, either tied or put the Yankees in the lead. Do you think that the Arizona Diamondbacks GM is like, you've got to be freaking kidding me?
2: Yeah, it's a stupid move. I mean, they I know that Didi, when he first came up, was a very highly touted prospect. And the bat took a lot longer, I guess, than than most people expected. But, man, look. It's like that. It's like that. Um, who just said about this? Uh, it was Buck Showalter. I, I tweeted about this and I was talking about it last one. When you are talking about Gene Sick Michael, Showalter was gushing about him. I said I could listen to him talk about him for hours because he's just got all really cool things to say. And one of the things that he said is that he never misses on an infielder. Never. Never miss on an infielder. And you look at what Didi did with, uh, with the Diamondbacks and you always knew he had a good glove, really strong arm with the potential to be maybe a 260, 270 bat. I think that's what they thought. Ten home runs, maybe, and they saw what he had the potential. They stuck with him. They, you know, there was the they were patient with him as a player because you got to add those those uh, Arizona years into the into the patience because he's still playing at a high level at that point, point. and it's paid off. I mean, they they saw something that other teams didn't see, obviously, and it's paid off in a big way.
1: It has. Uh, before we move into mailbags, because we have a lot of good mailbags this week, people stepped up their game. Sonny Gray was not good today. This was uh, his worst start in a long time. Because if you remember, he had the third lowest ERA in baseball since end of June. So he's been fantastic. Four innings, six hits, five runs. Um, he was all over the place. After the game, he said that he didn't have his stuff today. That's kind of, hey, hello, Captain Obvious. We could all see right. that. Um, but one thing I, I was looking up is splits. With runners in scoring position, he's allowing a two fifty-eight batting average against which is significantly higher than his 221 overall batting average against. So it seems that when he gets runners on base, he he's not as good. He's not bad, but he's not as good, which is which is kind of a problem.
2: I I guess I'm not really looking too much into that though. I mean like what's the what's the difference in at bats between overall 221 and then uh, with runners in scoring position. I mean it's it's not a huge uptick. It's not like they're batting 330 in a runners in scoring position. They're still batting 250 um so, I, you know, I think the, the amount of at-bats also can skew that. The, at the same time, look, the guy has been very good. He had a bad day today. You could tell. He just couldn't. He had no control. He was taking forever. And I know he takes a long time.
1: Two seconds. It's, it's too freaking long. 28 yeah. seconds is too fucking long to take in between pitches. Sonny Gray, speed your shit up.
2: I'm very interested. If anybody was listening to the, uh, the Sterling broadcast today, please tweet us what he was talking. Because he had to have mentioned it at least five times. Because he can't stand when someone takes as long on the mound. Whenever David Price is pitching, uh, John and Susan are just going off on how long it takes, and I think it's hilarious. But he does; it takes too long. And you know, we talked about that. Is there something to do with this run support thing and the fact that he takes as long as he does? Does he just lull everybody to sleep? Uh, you know, he definitely affects the way that the game flow is. There's no doubt about it. When you when you take 30 seconds between pitches, that's that's absolutely changing the flow of a game. And after a while, can that take a toll on the offense? Maybe it can, because that's a long time to be out in the field. You know, you're probably at that point, like looking around the stands, you know, your concentration's not completely, you know, on the on the batter for, for short amounts of time. And I don't blame them. And, you know, you're human at that point. At some point you're, you start daydreaming a little bit. That's a long time between pitches.
1: Yeah. You get Paul O'Neill out in right field working on his batting stance. That's what you get when you take 28 seconds in between pitches. Um, there was one also thing I wanted to mention, and this is calling out all the Yankees fans that are going to be at the playoff game, sitting around the field in foul territory in the second inning, Trey Mancini, Mancini hit a double down the left field line. It scored Machado from first fans very easily could have gotten their hands on that ground ball. It would have been a ground rule double second and third. Instead, the run scored when it, uh, when it helps the Yankees, you got to make an interference. When it doesn't help the Yankees, like Steve Bartman, get your ass and sit your ass down. Do not interfere. People who sit down there have to know the situation. they got to be paying attention. You can't be tweeting. You can't be Instagramming. You can't be doing any of that shit. you got to pay attention and help the Yankees out however they can. This is going to be
2: crucial as we go into October. So one of the crucial situations for the Yankees in October is to you the fans along the the outs, the outfield lines the fans along the uh, you know just past the dugouts you got to pay attention if there's a ball going into the stands Yankees hit it go after the goddamn ball if there's a ball down the line that's that's uh, a double touch the ball if there's a runner on first that guy's going to score you touch yep. it he doesn't score it's important. It's, it's science. It's science. Yeah, no, it is important. They're, you know, we got to help out this team as much as we can. It's like the thumbs down thing. You want to be involved with the game? You're giving the thumbs down? Like, that's great. We all get this, like, awesome feeling. Help out the team. Put your hand <laughs> on a ball.
1: Any way that we can help out the team. Guys, rate and review this podcast in iTunes. We remind you every single week, and you guys are coming through over 400. They're awesome to read. Go to iTunes right now. Give us a five-star rating and review if you enjoy this podcast. It helps us. Create more shows. More people are going to download it. Just makes things easier for Scott and I. So, so if you have been listening for one episode or a hundred episodes, go do that right now.
2: Also, real quick on uh, real quick on the rate and review stuff. The we are at what four hundred and what twelve something like four hundred and ten. I don't know, somewhere around there. Let's let's set a goal for five hundred before the season's over. It's a lofty goal, but there are a lot. There are thousands and thousands of people that we know because we see the numbers every day of of who's listening to the show. If you have not reviewed the show, please. Go to iTunes, take a second, review the show, give it a five-star review, Get put something witty in there, put something good. We're going to start reading a lot more of these reviews, and uh, and we're going to make a segment out of it. So put something good in there. If you want to make fun of us, make fun of us. It's fine. We don't care. Put, put five stars. But do that, please, because it does help us, especially with the playoffs coming up. People are looking for Yankees baseball podcasts. They want to see us. When you look Yankees, when you search Yankees in iTunes, we come up number one, and we want to stay there. So do that for us. We would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Also, call the voicemail line 646-480-0342. We are also calling you guys out for your voicemails. They were fire in July and August. People were all over the voicemail line. It's been a little lackadaisical the last couple weeks, so fire it up. We're almost at October baseball. I don't know why people aren't more fired up. Maybe only when bad things happen. Yes, do, that's exactly do, it. Okay. That's
2: exactly <laughs> it. It's it's whenever something bad happens, when Joe Girardi just does unthinkable things, or when a Chapman comes in and just is abysmal and loses games for us. We get so pissed off and emotional that that's when the calls come in. When things are going well, we're like, all right, nice. Things are going well. I don't have to call in. I don't have to complain about anything. It's not just a complain line. This is a, a voicemail line so you can voice your opinions and you know, 30 second takes. Give me some 30 seconds. Don't go more than that because we can't play the whole damn thing. But do 30 seconds. Give us some hot takes. Give us some praises. You want to complain about something, fine. Use it as a complain line. But I, I do enjoy good, the
1: complaints. The complaints are
2: They're great. they're funny. I there's no doubt about it. They're funny. But it's also it's a it's a pump me up line too. Let's get pumped up. You want to, I'll play some jock jams behind it if you want. It's all good. <laughs>
1: Uh final thing before mailbags is submit mailbag questions at slash podcast Okay, first question is from Daniel Smith. He says if we play and win the wild card game, how do we feel about our chances beating Cleveland or Houston? So we we already said the Yankees are plus 4 over the Twins. They could pretty much lock up the number 1 wild card spot this week with a series win against the Twins. The second wild card race is between the Twins, Angels, Seattle and Kansas City. I'm ruling out everybody out from now on. So Say the Yankees do beat uh, one of those teams in the wild card, and we've got to play either Houston or the Indians. The Indians are a game and a half up over Houston as of Sunday for the number one spot. The Yankees versus Cleveland this year, 2-5, and outscored by 11 runs versus Houston, also two and five, but outscored barely j- by just two runs. So they've played better overall against Houston than they have Cleveland. That can also be because they played Houston, I think, in the beginning of the season when they were one of the best teams in baseball.
2: Yeah, and they also played Cleveland right in the smack middle of that 22 game uh, winning streak. So the, the Indians were as hot as they have ever been throughout the year when they came and played the Yankees. So I think the numbers are a bit skewed. You want to obviously look at who is going to be matched up and both teams can throw a very good pitcher at you. I mean, you, if Kluber's coming at you, that's tough. If uh, Verlander or Dallas Keuchel, who's our freaking nemesis or arch nemesis, when it comes to late, se- late in the season baseball, I mean, he hasn't been the same guy this year, but do I expect him to be that same the, the same Dallas Keuchel that's pitched against the Yankees if he does pitch against us? 100%. I think he's the same guy. But um, that being said, the Yankees have a very different team this year, and they can match up better with left-handed pitching. I, I Look, I have a very difficult time saying one over the other, honestly, because in a one game, anything can happen. You could throw the kitchen sink at a guy. If there's a hot pitcher that comes in, that can change the, the way that the game is played. So you're looking at Severino, maybe, if, if all works out, against one of these other guys. And I like our chances well, at that point. But as this, well, isn't as good as else. this isn't for a card game.
1: This isn't for a card game. This would be in the division series that we'd be playing Houston or Cleveland.
2: Oh, my bad. And if that's the case for a longer series, I, I think that, again, it's uh, honestly, it's still probably a, uh, a very similar opinion in the sense that I have a hard time picking between these two teams because I think they're both very good top to bottom. Cleveland's I rather, right now.
1: I'd rather play Houston because I think i think I rather take my chances again with Severino, Tanaka, Sonny Gray, and Sabathia versus Verlander, Keuchel, McClough, or McClough, I always forget his name, and, and and that Houston pitching staff. I just think Cleveland is, top to bottom, a more dangerous team. And also, a fact that they lost in Game 7 of the World Series, similar to what happened to the Royals two years ago, that's weighing on them. That, that, they're extra motivated.
2: Do you think that the uh, the fact that you really don't want to is because Trevor Bauer is dominant against the New York Yankees? Is yeah, that, that also into your consideration. I
1: can't bank on him just diddling with some drones over over the uh, the wild card game and then cutting his finger up. I can't count on that.
2: See, I don't like I don't like seeing Houston when I when I'm looking across there and I see their offense and I see uh, I see Dallas Keuchel and I see Justin Verlander who I, I guarantee is going to up ain't for playoffs me anymore. He he dominated today. He, he's a guy who can go out there and dominate at any point. He's still got that. He's not that old. And he can go out there and, and do things that, to me, a, a second and third pitcher on Cleveland can't do. So I don't know. I think once you get past Kluber, uh, the, the Indians are, are different. Granted, their bullpen is filthy and ridiculous. And they have the big edge, to me, in bullpen um, over Houston. And that could definitely come into uh, a series like that. I just I, I don't think one is better than the other. In all honesty, I mean, yeah, you're looking at it now, and Cleveland just won 22 games in a row. So the obvious answer is I don't want to play Cleveland. At the mm-hmm. same time, I don't want to play Houston. <laughs> well, well, we're gonna
1: have to pay. We're gonna have to play one of them unless the Yankees catch the Red Sox, and then they would still have to play the other one.
2: Yeah, at some point you got to go through everybody. I get that, but um, I just I, I don't think there's one better than the other. I really don't. And, and then you got also in Houston, you got McCann and and Beltran who are going to try to stick it to him and probably have all like ridiculous series against us it's just it's just that'll be annoying <laughs> what's next next is from uh, greg in canada he says as september closes out i'd like to see austin romine catch more two or three games per week and gary sanchez d dh or rest come playoffs romine is the everyday catcher and sanchez is the every time every day uh designated hitter we still get sanchez's bat Romine's still steady behind the plate okay Greg, this is exactly what we were avoiding by talking about the, the whole Gary Sanchez thing. Like, we, we get that there's deficiencies behind the plate, but it's not going to change the fact that he's going to be behind the plate. He's still going to be there. You cannot play him at designated hitter and take him out of his position just to do that at, 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 at one point at the end of the year. You can't change things in the middle of a season. He has the offseason to, to fix his defensive woes, but now you live with that because that's your guy.
1: He's also been a little bit better blocking balls the last been. couple weeks. He has
2: been better. He
1: got it was like he hit he hit uh, rock bottom with that about two weeks ago. He hit you rock bottom. You still see flashes.
2: Yeah, but do you remember like, the Cleveland the
1: series where he allowed two runners to score on pass balls? I mean, that was unacceptable. So he hit rock bottom. He's gotten a little bit better since. But if Greg if we if we do Greg's method and Romine's in there every day, that's a black hole in the lineup. As much as we love Austin Romine He's, I'm not, I don't want to take out Matt Holiday or potentially Greg Bird or, or um, somebody else who can DH and give you a legitimate threat in the lineup. And I'm not, I'm not doing that.
2: No, you can't do that. You absolutely cannot do that. And that's, that's one of the biggest things because, one, Austin Roman is a backup pet, uh, catcher. He's going to be a career backup catcher. He doesn't have a offensive game that translates well enough to be in there every day. And when you do have him in there, he's going to be batting nine or eight or wherever Joe puts him. And like you said, it's going to be, you know, he may have some games where he does well. He's gotten better offensively, but he's still not a good offensive player. And the Yankees have so many more offensive players that are better that you can play at DH rather than putting Sanchez at DH. So, you know, you just can't do it. As much as I, as much as I don't like uh, Sanchez behind the plate with his defensive blocking and such, I, I'm not taking him out. I'm not. I'm just not going to do it. He's got to have the offseason to 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 correct these things, but right now you got to have him in the in there and he's your guy. He's your catcher. There's no if, doubt about it.
1: If we come back next season and April and May he looks like he has not worked on blocking balls, then fine. Then he deserves to be put at DH full time. But we got to give him the offseason.
2: Yeah, you can't make these changes in the middle of a season. Not 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 for not like real significant changes. It just doesn't happen that fast.
1: The next question is from Sarah, and she says, I'm watching the game Tuesday night against the Rays. We're 1-1 in the bottom of the 7th. What are opposing pitchers ERA against the Yankees when Sonny Gray starts. Like, uh, like, is it that Gray has been coincidentally matched up against pitchers that pitch well against us? Why can't we get any offense behind him? It makes no sense. We had Dom, in turn, Dom. It's your boy, Dom. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter. Look up some stats. Starters versus Gray this season. 50 innings pitch, 18 earned runs. That's a 3.24 ERA. Not, obviously not bad, but not as good as I thought. But then we looked and saw that out of eight games that gray started five times the yankees scored one run or less
2: you know it's funny because you're looking at those 50 innings pitched uh you know that's a that's a faceless stat right you don't see the guys who are actually throwing them and they could be anybody i don't know who they are uh, every single one of those innings but the fact that they've collectively thrown to a 3.4 3.24 era is pretty damn good um It doesn't say like that's like Cy Young dominant stuff, but it's pretty damn good three two four when you see a collection of guys throwing fifty innings. Um, The Yankees aren't scoring runs, and we talked about maybe there is something to do with the fact that he does take forever in a day between innings and he lulls people to sleep. I don't know. Do I really believe that? No, I I really don't. (laughs) Potentially (laughs) throwing that out
1: there, but I don't buy my own shit.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just something that I think that, that can be looked at when you look at the uh, Dom was also looking up. We were we were went down a rabbit hole to find out. Um, so we did do the diligence and look to see if guys who are taking more time between pitches have a lower um, run support for, for their offense. And there's no there was no pattern. There was no glaring, overwhelming thing that said, yeah, the guys who take longer are getting less run support. So I, I can't buy it wholeheartedly. Um, maybe in a particular game, it affects guys differently. I don't know. I think it's more coincidence that we're just seeing guys are going up against Sonny Gray and for whatever, pitching well.
1: And today, the Yankees offense was so hot. All, all the first three games against Baltimore, they pummeled Baltimore's pitching. Abaldo Jimenez comes in with his 6.5 ERA, and the Yankees score one run off of Jimenez. So it, yeah, it's probably just coincidence, but At a certain point, you got to look and say, well, what the frick is going on here? The Yankees can't score when Sonny Gray's on the mound. I still am confident that when Sonny Gray takes the mound in October, I'm still confident the Yankees are going to be putting up runs, but it just hasn't happened yet.
2: Yeah, it's weird, especially when you got Obaldo Jimenez coming in and, and locking down the Yankees. And Obaldo Jimenez is trash. He's an awful pitcher. He's a really bad pitcher. He had, like, one what i think half of a season in colorado where he flashed He finished second in
1: cy young voting i think in colorado but that was amazing because colorado had never had a good pitcher in mile high
2: yeah and it was a it wasn't like the entire season he definitely flashed at at a i want to say it was half the season and then he tailed off totally tailed off at the end and um you know he got paid off of that but he's a bad pitcher he's just i don't know why the yankees couldn't see him well today
1: yeah what's up next
2: Greg from New York, in the spirit of the Indians breaking the modern 21-game winning streak, which streak do you guys think will be broken first? The Indians reaching their 27th consecutive win to break the 1916 New York Giants winning streak, or DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. Fun fact, the game after DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak ended, he went on a 16-game hitting streak, hitting 72 of 73 games. That's ridiculous.
1: That is ridiculous. So Greg obviously wrote this during the streak. The streak had not been broken, but it did end at 22 games and they outscored opponents 142 to 37 in those 22 games, which is basically a 6 to 2 game every night. They just absolutely dominated, steamrolled for 22 games.
2: Yeah, so there's 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 a couple things that that I think um are into this one. The DiMaggio record to me is never, ever, ever, ever going to get even close. I don't think anybody's going to get close to it. And the reason is not because there's not great players out there that could potentially do it, but they just don't play every day. People don't play every day. There's too many injuries. There's too too much money being made where if there's something that is a, 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 a scare, a potential injury, somebody's really sore, they may not get a start because of that. Because there's a lot of money invested in these guys and it just doesn't happen anymore. It's a different type of game. So relievers a, also. A team getting hotter. Uh, relievers also, same thing.
1: Yeah, no, but relief pitching comes in. You don't fit fa- uh, back. DiMaggio was facing the same starting pitcher for four at bats. So by the time he got up, if he was 0 for 3, he's like, okay, well, I've seen this guy throw me 13, 14 pitches today. I'm going to sit on something and I'm going to hit it. Now you got guys coming. You got Chris Britton coming out of the bullpen. You got Dell and Batanzas coming out of the bullpen. It's freaking hard to get hits off these guys.
2: Yeah, no. When you said that, I was thinking uh, uh, starting pitching and the Cy Young. So I, I don't think that uh, the that's as big of a thing. But the thing is, is that you could. There's so many specialty guys. Whereas before, like you said, you're seeing one guy for a game, maybe two guys. But now there's so many specialty guys, and there's matchups, and it's just a totally different game in baseball to 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 do these things. People are the, the defense is shifting to the way that you you your, your patterns and hitting. So there's just a million things. Uh, that will go against people from even getting close. I don't think it's going to get close. I don't think anybody's going to hit forty in a row. Well, we've I- I had think it's forty a couple distant. times. Didn't Jimmy? But I don't Rollins... think from here on it's going to be anywhere near fifty six. I think it's going to be very far away.
1: Jimmy Rollins in like two thousand six, two thousand seven range reached. I think forty games are pretty close to it.
2: I don't remember. I have no idea how many games it was. If a
1: guy like Ichiro in his prime didn't sniff this record, no one's sniffing this record. Because Ichiro was like the prototypical guy. He never walked, so he was always going to hit four or five times. He was leading off. He's a slap hitter. He was fast as shit. If he's not going to even sniff it, yeah, lefty, I don't know if anyone's going to even, even come close. Um, other crazy records, obviously Ripken's streak that may or may not have been enhanced by some extracurricular drugs. Get on. out of here with that. You yes. keep going on this
2: Ripken steroid thing. I don't even know where it's coming from, <laughs> just besides the fact that he played in that era.
1: Yeah. Cy Young, 511 wins is just stupid. Pete Rose, 4256 is insane. Uh, there's a number of insane records. Um, the home run record, though, 73, especially with the way the ball's been flying. Like I could see someone... like Giancarlo Stanton's not going to reach it this year, but he only turned it up in the second half. If he has a whole season next year I mean there's guys now that could reach 73 homers
2: you mean like Aaron judge who was on pace to hit 95 earlier in the season exactly yeah I think 73 that the home run record is probably not safe the way that things are happening and the the way that the home runs just keep flying out of the park. Uh, that's probably the one I'd circle as, as something that would... That, I think that would be one that people would really embrace. People mm-hmm. would very much like that home run record to be broken.
1: Right, because it would be by a clean guy. That was the whole thing yeah. when we thought A-Rod was going to be breaking the the all-time home run record, that it was going to be done by a guy that was clean. Eh, not so much.
2: There's a lot of these all-time records that are going to be very difficult to get to because it's such a different game, and the, the amount of games and innings that guys are playing now, it's just very different.
1: Mm-hmm. Next up is from Kurt, and brace yourself for this one. With the last few games of Girardi having us all scratching our heads with some of his decisions and the Yankees going through a youth movement, how about this for a conspiracy theory? During the offseason, Yankees brass gives Girardi a low-ball offer. Girardi declines it. The question has been, who will replace him? Easy. They made Arod special advisor, someone for the young guys to go to. He was a special instructor during spring training, and everyone knows he is a brilliant baseball mind. What about Arod or maybe even Tony Pena?
2: <laughs> Arod Arod is not going to be the manager of the Yankees. It's just it's not going to happen. Uh, there is probably a very long laundry list of guys in front of Arod that would be the manager. I don't think Arod wants to be the manager personally at this point. I think he's far too far too happy, you know, gallivanting around the world with with J Lo, uh, posting Instagram videos of J Lo singing and just highlighting her, her on his Instagram. He doing was tying all these fun Big things, Poppy's
1: tie this weekend, which made me barf yeah. a little bit.
2: He's, he's having fun on Fox. He's going on Shark Tank. He's on CNBC. He's investing. He's got A-Rod Corp, a fly fishing business that keeps him busy. He's got all of these things. He's got two young girls that he is taking around with him, it seems like. It seems like he's spending a lot of time with these girls and having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, do love they go to the- school? I don't know. Maybe they're homeschooled, but I love seeing family man A-Rod. That's one thing that maybe he's getting to me. Maybe now because I have a kid and I'm seeing A-Rod with his kid softening me up a little bit. My, it's a good, solid move if A-Rod's trying to get me on his side. Good move by A-Rod. like seeing that kind of thing. He's not going to be the manager. It's too much of a grind. A-Rod would crumble under the daily grind of being a manager.
1: Yeah, I just don't think he wants to. He's too rich and famous. Um, a, man, a guy that we don't really ever talk about, Al Pedrique, who's the Rail Riders manager, he might be a guy that the Yankees would look to if they were moving on from Girardi. I'm not saying they are, but if they were, because he managed a lot of these guys to championships in AAA. So I feel like he has earned a shot at a higher level if he wants it.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting if you're talking about these things, and we're not going to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but the, um, we, can, we can do this all we want in the offseason. I think we, can, we have plenty of time to talk about the fact that Girardi doesn't have a contract yet, and maybe he won't get one. Who knows? But I think the outcome of the season will do it. I think Padrique is interesting because, yeah, he's, he's a guy that obviously has the admiration of a lot of the players on the team currently. And, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a guy that played, he's managed, um, you know, he's been around for a long time in the game of baseball. And that's one of those guys that you would probably circle. I think, I think they would, uh, if, if they were to replace a guy like Girardi, they would first look internal, um, especially because there are so many guys that have come up through the system.
1: Yep. What's up next?
2: Next one is from Kyle Roberts. He says, with the resurgence of Ellsbury, do you think the Yankees will try and capitalize on it by trading him in the offseason? He has been playing some good baseball, but now would be a great time to see him gone. Oh, man, that's uh, wishful thinking. Wishful thinking, Kyle. Um, I don't know. I I don't see it happening. I think the contract is entirely too much. He's playing good baseball right now, but it still is not playing to that contract.
1: 425 in his last 11 starts, basically since Aaron Hicks went on the DL. Uh, 17 for 40, four doubles, a triple, and six RBIs with 14 runs scored.
2: Good stuff. That's great. I mean, that's awesome. Look, he's he's taken advantage of this situation. Aaron Hicks is gone. Ellsbury is now playing every day, and he's playing very well at a very, very opportune time. He's trying to change the fans' minds uh, of what he is and this contract. He can do it. It's all up to him. He just got to cons- consistently play good baseball for the duration of his contract, and we'll all be okay with it. He was benched.
1: He was essentially relegated to fourth outfielder's duties, and it was only because of Hicks going on the DL that he got another shot. And yes, he's taken advantage of it, but that's going to be a real hard sell for Cashman to another GM being like, hey, take our guy we benched and we're only playing because Hicks is hurt. There's no way unless the Yankees eat 75% of the contract
2: well to me it's c- totally inconsequential because of the contract the contract is what will determine if you are ever to get traded or not be traded which is probably the 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 glaring thing that's going to happen the contract is so significant and so big for for a shell of a player that that doesn't put up numbers that warrant the contract that he has and the duration of the contract that's the other thing it's not even the money you know per year it's the duration of the contract that people just don't want to live with a guy like that for as long so He's going to, at some point, the Yankees are going to have to eat something on that contract because, you know, he's not that guy anymore. He's not the same player. He's playing very good right now. So I'm just going to be happy with what I'm seeing. I'm going to be happy for him actually coming out and playing good baseball because the Yankees need it. And he's actually coming up in big situations. So I got nothing bad to say about him right now because he's, he's appeasing what we all want, and that's playing good baseball.
1: Mm hmm. Final question. It's a little bit of a different one. It's from Wes. If you were going to create a pitcher in real life and could pick any four pitches they throw, what pitches would you pick and why? So I I, I didn't take this just to mean fastball slider, curveball changeup. I took it to mean like Mariano's cutter as one pitch, Pedro's changeup as a pitch, like certain guys that threw nasty pitches. If you could combine them into one ultimate freakish pitcher, what would it be? Like the two that I just mentioned might be, my first two picks because those were two of the most dominant pitches I ever saw.
2: Okay. So you took that a completely different way than I took it. So we'll do have two answers for this. You're going to give some all time like freakish player. That's uh, that'll never exist. I'm going to give you my answer of if I were to see a guy come up with a ridiculous arm, we all know I love toolsy guys, and this guy is going to have, he's going to have a four seam fastball. He's going to have a two seam fastball. He's going to have a hard slider with late bite and he's going to have a changeup and that's going to be his repertoire because a lot of them look very similar coming out of the hand. He's going to have a filthy change-up with a lot of different speed, change from probably 96, 97-mile-an-hour down to 80-mile-an-hour change-up, dominant stuff, and then he's going to throw the, the filthy slider as his out pitch. I love that. No that's one throws that's
1: a, no, no one throws a change up 16 miles an hour slower. I mean, look at Severino's Severino's is like 90.
2: Oh, now there's limitations on this little game? I didn't know that. I, there, this is my guy. Why are you telling me my guy can't do that? I just saw him do it. <laughs>
1: Uh, other dominant pitches that come to my mind was um, Roger Clemens' splitter, Randy Johnson's slider. So I know there's a lefty in there, so it's going to be confusing. But if you could have a Mariano Cutter, a Randy Johnson slider, a, a Pedro changeup, and a, a Clemens' splitter in there, that's that's a filthy pitcher.
2: You don't want a Kershaw curveball? Because that Kershaw curveball is filthy.
1: That's true. So what would you replace? Maybe Maybe the splitter?
2: Maybe the splitter. I don't know. I like, to, I like to see a lot of the uh, very similar arm actions that do different things. Uh, once the So once a, a batter can pick up a pitch, they don't know what it is because they look very similar coming out of the hand. Yeah, That's, that's is... to me when you see deceiving uh, a guy who's like dominant deceiving. And that, I, honestly, that's what you're seeing from Severino right now. If you were to have one more pitch, then he would probably be my ultimate guy.
1: This, uh, this is bringing me back to my days of creating players on video games. And uh, if you guys have any any pitches, pitch mixes, or all-time favorite pitches of pitchers, tweet us at Yankees Podcast. You can also tweet me at Andrew underscore Rotondi and Scott at Scott Reinen. We already gave the voicemail line, but I'll give it again. Call it up, 646-480-0342. Scott, anything you want to say before we get out of here?
2: No, just let's continue this against the Minnesota Twins. Let's uh, let's show them the little bitch team that they are that we've always shown them that they are, and uh, let's send them back to Minnesota crying like little, you know, little little bitch boys. That's I it. I love this. That's You're cool. gonna
1: get the entire Midwest against you. I, it's, it's finally someone is. We need somebody to hate you because everyone always just hates me.
2: Yeah, who, can't, who? The Twins are so irrelevant. Come on, let's let's all be honest. The Twins haven't been relevant since Kirby Puckett. Seriously. <laughs> all
1: right, we'll talk to you guys on Thursday.